Feminism is a hot topic today. With so much pressure to be a feminist or be pro-femme, wearing these this is what a feminist looks like t-shirt, after an alarming audition I had for a network TV show, it made us put on the brakes and question, are we going in the right direction? Listen in as three generations of women discuss feminism and what that means for the men in our lives. You're listening to TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. And I'm A. All righty. Thank you all for tuning in. So yes. a, couple a couple things before we get started, as always. Yes. Uh, we have some really fun new videos going up from our interviews with Sarah Afkami and Leah Knauer, um, our In Bed With series where they answer naughty and funny and sweet questions mm-hmm. <laughs> with you us. Get to know them more intimately. Yeah, that's on our YouTube channel and will be on lovetv.co. Mm-hmm, which is a great new website where our content, exclusive content, is featured for them. Um, it's a great website for anything sex, love, and intimacy. It's a wealth of information, so go and check that out. Yeah. And then also we have our advice show uh, with, that we're doing every month. It airs on the, the last Wednesday of every month. So if you have questions, anything that's swimming around in your little minds and lives, then uh, let us know. You can email us at advice at tatalksex. Dot dot com. Com. Um, and I think that's it. We have our 100th episode next week. Oh. So we're going to have some sort of little celebration party, uh, which will be revealed the day of. <laughs> I think we're going to also live stream it on uh, Facebook and social media. So we'll keep you posted on that. OK, back to our show topic. So, right. OK, to address this issue, we have three generations of ladies who I would say are self um, self-described feminists. Um, and one is a, not a millennial. She's actually a Gen Z. She's 17. Yeah. She's a student. Her name is Annie. Um, and she's been involved in all kinds of different proactive, uh, civil rights causes already. Um, and, uh, has been involved with getting sex ed legislation passed in New York, I believe. Love to hear that. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, go ahead. And then we have our, uh, our next generation member is, uh, Gina Levy who is a, uh, an award-winning filmmaker, and I'm actually working on a script with her um, that we're a finalist for the Sundance Lab, Episodic Woo! Lab, yeah, so we'll see, but it is actually all about this. It's about totally what does it mean to be a feminist and what the heck is going on? How do you, how well, do you stay above water as I a woman? I hope you don't have scenes like this one in your series. What do you mean this one? Well, this one that I'll tell you about. Oh, that got me all geared oh, up. Oh, right, the show. So right, right. so you're gonna get into that. I but will. who is our and our third guest? Our third guest is Helene, who is uh, Gina's mother. Gina's mother. Uh, she's 79, and she's been. She was a member of the League of Women Voters for many, many years, and also worked uh, for the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, getting that going. Um, right, so which I didn't know a lot about, and so we'll talk about either. it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like our generation is really naive or I don't know if that's right, but like ignorant to all of the work that Helene's generation did for us. Right. Um, So I look forward to hearing her opinion on feminism and and all the work that she was doing then. Definitely. And she also uh, was involved. She had a consciousness raising group also. So. Ah, because I, okay, well, we'll get to that, but I feel like that consciousness is like the biggest issue for me as a woman, (laughs) like what's inhibiting me or what we perceive as challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me, so, so I had this audition for, um, uh, I can say the name of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. We're, we're not going to read the script cause we don't want to get won't. in trouble <laughs> even though she has it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it was for, it was for a show that's coming out on Netflix called girl boss, which is 
based on that national bestseller book, Girl Boss, mm-hmm. which is about a woman who started a clothing line called Nasty Gal. Mm-hmm. Clothes- she's young. She's 30 now. So I think she was in her late 20s, mid 20s, oh, really? early 20s when, when that was going on. Yeah. Well, like she's actually in downtown LA. Her manufacturer's there. It's, um, it's really an interesting story. Right. And it's a story of like, she's, you know, a girl boss and, and, you know, rising to the top all on her own and, and whatnot. But so the show, um, I, I was digging around and reading a few different episodes for context and, there was this uh, scene w- between the main character and her main love interest, and they were uh, they were in the bedroom in the middle of making out, and she all of a sudden just stops and turns over and is like, "Okay, I'm done." And he's like, "Oh, he's like, oh, well, you know, is everything okay?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm just done." And then <laughs> he's like, "Well, uh, okay, yeah, like, did I satisfy? Did I, yeah, like, are you okay?" She's like, "No, no, no, I just, you know." I didn't, you know, I, I just, I'm not in the mood. And well, she, blah, blah. yeah, she says, oh, then no, she says she doesn't sleep on first dates. Right, sleep, right, right. Sleep with someone. Or so whatever. anyway, but if there's this sense of like, she got what she came for and, and she's like, okay, turns over and, and sort of disregards him. And then she's like, oh, by the way, uh, can you, can you, you know, I can't sleep without the sound of the ocean. Like I need an, a, one of those noise generating machines. Uh, so can you just, you know, make that sound? And he, he's like. Uh, okay so he starts making the sound and like well, she invites herself to sleep over even though she doesn't have an intention of a sexual exchange with him right and then and then you know has says by the way can you can you be my my uh machine yeah oh the <laughs> noise canceling machine yeah. the noise canceling. and so he's like okay and he kind of like a puppy dog he sort of he he does it and he's like and there's an indication that he like cuddles up next to her and really loves it and he's like you know happy and content and to me it immediately flared me because I'm like (laughs) oh my god is this what we're going to be teaching young women who are going to be watching this show called girl boss that's like I to me it just reeked of a sense of entitlement and there I felt like there was a total disregard for the man and um and I felt like it was I was really alarmed by you but what bothered you is that she felt like just the way the gender dynamics are yeah i'm like okay look i get that we're in this hoorah go women thing but i feel like like this was okay yes it's hollywood but but culture is very important and media has an incredible impact totally right and so to have this kind of thing where she's to me um, disrespecting and disregarding the man and it becomes an oppressive force so it's taking, almost like taking totally advantage being of hypocritical him. taking advantage of him and um, and again like feeling entitled like what because I'm a woman I can come and sleep in your bed and take sex just the way I want without having to think about you or give anything back I mean I'm not saying she has to well I know I I have this little theory about women using their sexual uh feeling only empowered in their sexuality and and I felt like for me when I read the scene it in my opinion it was like she's she feels empowered to use her sex the like I don't know to get what she wants from him in a way that isn't um healthy yeah I don't yeah I don't think it's actually that developed and I feel like it's pretty common practice or it's accepted that that's where women have power in our culture or, or in American society and so um that's I, maybe I, where I, I, I think this is Gina talking I think yeah. it's interesting how the pendulum swings because um mom you can also weigh in on this I mean I recall in the 70s a sort of around this whole thing there was this whole notion of the male chauvinist pig and I remember as a kid in elementary school like 
kids would call each other, oh, you're an MCP, you're a male chauvinist pig, you're a male chauvinist pig. And I really felt like the men of my generation were very confused in a certain way because they didn't want to be a male chauvinist pig. And <laughs> right, so it was a bad thing. It was a bad thing. So then they would try and like, you know, be like the, the problem is, is like at some point, which is like goes into this whole issue of consent. I mean, obviously consent is so important, but you also want to be able to have a natural and be yourself and not, and there are, you know, male and female are, are different. And I don't think that we need to throw that out, throw our differences away. I totally agree. Because we're so afraid of like, oh, I don't want to, you know, if I, if I try and seduce her, which is kind of a normal interaction, well, men seducing women, women seducing men, but I think there was this period where there was this fear of men. If I try to seduce a woman, am I being a male chauvinist pig? Right. I don't know, Mom. Is that what's your memory of that whole notion? The difference in sexuality between my generation, your generation, and Annie's generation. Obviously, there there are differences, but um, in my generation, the man was on a pedestal, hmm. and. You could just say about sexuality, there was a, you know, I mean, there was more thought to satisfying the man. And when we had consciousness raising groups, we began to talk about the female orgasm and about the female need and all the things that happened to women's bodies from menstruation on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Furthermore, the men had very little to do with the raising of children. I mean, it's delightful now. You go to a park and there are men with baby carriages. You see them changing diapers, et cetera, et cetera. So the men are playing multiple roles now, as are the women. Which I think is beautiful. Yeah. 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 Um, And wait, Annie speaking here. Going back to the the scene, though, from Mm -hmm. the episode, uh, something actually, this the way you described this scene actually struck me in a very different way. For me, the thing that feels negative about that scene is not the actual concept of it. It's not that a woman is over at a man's house and is denying him sex. It's that that is portrayed as something that is both abnormal and negative and not something she's allowed to do. Um, Like for me, I think that if the show is portraying that action in a negative light, that's very counterproductive because women shouldn't be shamed or perceived as bitches if they did not if they like are not always like up and ready for sex at any time I think that like the ability and the empowerment of women to say that they don't want sex and also like it's amazing that the guy because so often if women like deny men sex in any way like they they can be beaten for it they can be attacked so I think that in that scene like another spin on it could have been like that guy is amazing for like listening to her and like right. understanding what consent was because so many men would just have reacted awfully, um, could have done terrible things. And also that like, it's not an illegitimate thing for her to have done to say like, I don't sleep with people on first dates, but I still want to be with you in this moment. I totally <laughs> agree with you. And conceptually, yes, I agree with everything that's said there. Of course a woman doesn't, you know, yeah. have to give in to sex. It was more the tone of the way it was written. Yeah. And it's, and I, unfortunately, I, I Yeah, I feel like it's harder that, for people you know? to comment. But it, 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 it. it was just this tone of... Um, that she was being selfish. That she, well, she was like, you gave me pleasure, now I'm done. 
and I don't have to give you pleasure. It's not a two way street. Is that well, what you're it's saying? not even that. It was just the, a sense of it, it's just a sense of entitlement. I can tell you that if it was written in a different way, if the roles were reversed, we would be up in arms over the scene. If a guy, if a guy came to her and was like, okay, like it was basically like you know had his orgasm, let's say, because a guy probably would, and then just like kicked her out and and like oh, and by the way, uh, make me a cup of tea and bring me food or whatever. I like we would be it. He would be a male chauvinist, and we would you know what I mean? Like we would. Totally be pissed off about it. But now that what I'm concerned about is now that we're I feel like it's becoming this hypocritical thing where but because it's a woman doing it, it's okay. And I'm like to make up for thousands of years of abuse. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, but that's not a quality. That's just being hypocritical. Like, right. Like, so right. Swinging the opposite direction. And I just worry that we're like going in this direction of like, like tampering down and oppressing the male masculinity men. And like, okay, can I say something before we get lost in a scene that? Yes. This was just a conversation starter. Yeah. I wanted. Yes. The the conversation starter was got me worried and thinking. Yeah, it got us thinking about what is it to be a feminist? Right. What what are we trying to create with the movement? Where is it going? Is it even a movement anymore? Um, and so I think talking with all three of you and having that perspective, I was really curious about the journey that we've been on and kind of where we are now with Annie's perspective um, and and where we want it to go. You know, like what what is the best way to feel empowered? You know, I mean, I do think for myself, I've definitely had those experiences where I've been. I feel more like my issues are my own personal kind of mental imprisonment or like my own fears of judgment or like feeling entitled to be in certain spaces, that kind of thing. And partly I go, well, maybe that's just youth and getting older and feeling more confident. But is it also like my I feel like I have more chatter in my head than like my male peers. And I've like made conscious efforts to change that. Right. But like, I don't know, Annie, maybe that's not an issue for you or like, you know, more chatter in your head about what? About self-doubt, about not feeling entitled to be in a certain area or or like not knowing how to approach something. And so maybe trying to find someone to help me with it. Right. Like not feeling like I'm the strongest person or the answer. And I mean, ultimately, I always am like, oh, wait, I'm the solution, you know, like I'm the solution in the end. Right. But the fact that I have to have that conversation with myself at all feels like weakness. And you think men don't have that conversation? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm totally with you on that. I think that the thing about one of the things that not necessarily a problem, but an obstacle that feminism is facing right now is that so much of the way that sexism is manifested in 2016 is like that. It's like the little doubts, the the fact that like the things that are so much harder to measure, like the fact that girls self-confidence like drops incredibly low. I think around the age they reach, they turn like 10 or 11 and then doesn't start rising until they reach the age of 20. Like that's a huge problem. And it's all because of like the way that capitalism keeps feeding these like insanely impossible to achieve like images of perfect womanhood and how insecure young girls are about their weight everything like that it all comes together and then also there's like glass ceiling stuff like you don't see people who look like you at the top of companies like fortune 500 i don't know you don't see people who look like you directing movies or like running businesses and that all psychologically has a huge toll on young girls and young women so yeah I totally agree with you that I think that there's a lot to be said for the way that sexism um subconsciously affects both girls and men 
I don't know. I think talking with, oh, go ahead, Helene. I I wanted to add that when I graduated college, I think most of the women felt that men were at the top of the social structure and we had to marry up. We had to marry handsome, wealthy men, doctors, lawyers, et cetera, to bring us up. And then we would take very good care of their children and we would use our education to be educated moms. Hmm. Yeah. So feminine has gone a long distance but it hasn't been easy for women. It's not any easier. In many ways, I think it's much more difficult because now they're just doing everything. They're doing what the men did and are doing, and they're also doing all the traditional things that women have always done. So it's hard. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, this is T here speaking. Uh, Christina, do you guys, you know, uh, in the conversation, but I, I was always surprised by like, I feel like growing up, like at Annie's age, I was very like, I'm an independent woman and I'm just going to do what I want and work hard. And then I found I got into a relationship where all of a sudden I was like, almost like coded in my DNA. I was just trying to be the caretaker to like my partner and, and kind of, and he did have this sort of status of being like, you know, his job, he was a little bit older, so he was more established. So his job was more important. You know, all these things that start to just sort of become like a sliding scale. And then I was like, wait a minute, like this isn't what my vision of myself was at all before I got into that. And it felt so um, traditional that I then also panicked and like then was very judgmental of myself. For were not... you unhappy? Were you? Well, the judgment, I think, created the unhappiness, right? Like, but were I wasn't... you unhappy being in the nurturing position or was it or was it only the judgment that brought it on? Uh, we'll never I wa- know. <laughs> I guess I wonder that like, I mean, I, I, it sounds like it's kind of the case and I've experienced this too of sort of where you get lost in a relationship. I think it's an you know, easier road. It's an easier road because it's familiar and it's there, right? It's like easy to be at home. Yeah. I mean, maybe I think it's also maybe we, we're nurturers. So I, I, we can't. That's it. Women are nurturers. Right. So you can't, can't deny that. Fulfill yeah. Fulfill that role while they're trying to be mathematicians and filmmakers. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Helene, yeah. do you have like, yeah, do you have kind of perspective on that? Like, you know, right. Like how do we, how do we no, move away from no that? Solution. You just keep plugging along I have I I mean I do think things are better I mean you I mean there's a lot more opportunity for women now than when I was in my 20s but it's also much harder for women today well and I think are we supposed to move away from it I think from that's what nurturing I, that's yeah. what, I'm like why are you no we can't like move away from nurturing what? right that I mean I, I feel like that's a giant red flag Something that I think is key for me, actually, is that it's it's not just that women are inherently nurturing. It's that I think that in my in my personal experience, at least, men and boys are also actively taught to not be nurturing. Exactly. They're actively taught to not necessarily to like challenge each other instead of taking care of each other, to keep pushing and not admit to weakness, not admit admit to pain, even if like I mean not be able to even like process emotions or mm-hmm. feel sensitivity. So I think that another big thing that feminism could tackle in the future is also just toxic masculinity. Like not just trying to help women with our movement, but also trying to like focus on the ways in which the patriarchy affects men. And I think that could help with this specific issue a lot. And in relation to that, many goals have been met uh, in the United States and in Europe, but much of the world, there is no such thing as feminism. And those are places where there's tremendous violence. And I think 
that if women had a greater role in politics and in the society, there would be less violence. I agree. Yeah, there'd be a so more feminine, feminine approach. It has spread throughout the world. Helene, can I ask you about when you first um, got involved with the organizations that you did work with at, in feminism? Was there, um, I guess I was curious about like what feminism meant to you then and was that like easy for you to go into that kind of work or did it feel... Well, uh, I, I had read Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique. I think it came out in the late 50s. And then there was a certain, you know, I, I um, became a homemaker and a volunteer worker. I had a lovely house, had nice kids, had all the right things, but it just didn't feel right. And so I wanted to investigate this whole thing. And uh, there were many articles feminism was developing. And I went to the YMHA. They were having a day of starting a, starting a consciousness raising group. And if you lived in one town, you went to one corner of the room, et cetera, et cetera. And before you knew it, I had like 10 or 15 women who wanted to come to my home in New Rochelle and be part of a consciousness raising group. And it was part of my search for myself. And we met for many years. So, you know, then I became very active in it and active in the League of Women Voters. And those people knew I was active in feminism. And then when the League got that money, which was to help... Um, women able to get credit on their own. You know, during that period in the 70s, you couldn't buy a car without your father co-signing the loan. You couldn't buy a house. So uh, then that legislation passed, and um, I got this job, you know, speaking to bank presidents and all kinds of people at different points in their lives, telling them how they could get credit to do what they wanted to do. So one quick question, and then we're going to go to a break. Um, so, so it sounds like... I mean, because I feel like during the 70s and, of course, times before that, but specifically the time that you were doing this work, feminism really was, I mean, those are really, that's a really basic thing, not to be able to buy a house or, yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know, basic rights that are not being, that are being denied to women. Well, I feel really ignorant. There was actually a law that your father had to sign or how did that Or like work? a man? Well, it was a law where there, there, there was no law that, um, it was just the, it was the tradition that women could not borrow money. That's the way it was. The right. law passed equal credit opportunity, meaning that a woman, if she had good credit, could borrow money. Right. So that's what the law was. But even after the law was passed, uh, local banks, you know, if you went into a bank and you wanted to, like I knew somebody, she got divorced in the 70s. She had to buy her own car. She had the money to buy the car, but she couldn't get the car without her father co-signing you know, some of the money she was going to borrow, she couldn't get the car without her father co-signing that loan. And so that was humiliating to her. She was a divorced woman. She wasn't a baby. Right, right. And and presumably she had she had no credit history of herself, her own, right? Because exactly. she wasn't able to build it. To, but then when once the law was passed, even though the law was passed, it's like so many laws today. There are laws on the books that they're just not acted upon. So it required a lot of activity by a lot of people so that now, of course, if you have the credit, you can get anything. Okay. We're, We're going to take a break. Yeah. yeah. Um, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit um, more about bridging from how it was um, back in Helene's day, like when you were doing this work versus now. Yeah. And, compare the two. And what the heck is going on? Uh, <laughs> we'll be right back. You're listening to TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. And I'm A.
we're back with TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. And I'm A. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you have any questions or thoughts, feel free to write us at advice at TATalkSex.com. And if you want to join in on the conversation on social media, we love Instagram, but we're everywhere else as well. And you can find us at TATalkSex. All right. So we were talking about credit scores. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, so anyway, we're talking about kind of the the bridging bridging the difference. I, I think I was curious, Helene, like what like so for you, what was important with feminism was these sort of basic rights and then unconsciousness right. raising. I, oh, a quick question. Were you leading the consciousness groups or did you have other people like did you become one of the group leaders? Well, actually, in the consciousness group, everybody is a leader. What I did was I was the organizer of my consciousness group. And so I invited all these people to come to my house the first time. And we made an agenda. The agenda was subjects that we would be talking about. We were going to meet once a week. And it was about 12 people from throughout Westchester County. We would meet in different homes. And um, we talked about things like um, menstruation, uh, orgasm, children, money, Oh, so it's what we're doing now on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I can say as I remember as a little kid, they would all be meeting in the den and I was so curious that I would sit outside the door with my ear and just listen and listen to what they were talking about. Because as a child, I probably was about eight. It was just fascinating. And you understood? You know, obviously it was adult conversation, but I think there's part of me that was just like so curious about these women talking about their marriages and their relationships with men and and their their struggles right i mean I, maybe i was too young to be hearing it all but <laughs> no it was probably the perfect age you know, uh, another thing uh during this period newspapers would list a woman if she was in the paper in a news article for some reason as mrs Right. And and then her name. And uh, I was among people who protested at the New York Times and are we would say my miss or missus is nobody's business. <laughs> you know, we did that for days. And but also I, they would use the husband's name. Right. It wasn't even right. your name. Yes. Mr. Or Mrs. John Smith. Here, but it was always be, at Miss or Mrs. Oh, you'd and be Mrs. Act- John Smith, right, Mom? You would be Mrs. Exactly, John Smith exactly. rather than. Wow. So you didn't even right. Incre- they didn't say your first Mrs. name. Jane. Right. They would say Mrs. John Smith because you were an extension of your husband. And this is this isn't that long ago. This is the 70s. We're we're chatting with. with... We did get this change. We did get this change in The New York Times. And I think other other periodicals have all changed over the years. And that was when Ms. Magazine came out and Ms. basically was pushing. We shouldn't people shouldn't have to know if you're Mrs. or Miss. So they essentially invented Ms. Oh, I see. Ms. in the seventies. Okay, I see. I was I always wondered where that came from. Yeah. What well, What I think is amazing is like we're listening to you share these stories, Helene, and in a way, like the history is already lost on us, right? I mean, we're yeah. living the privileges right. of them now, right. right? Right. But yeah, I mean, I you know I don't think about it, but I do see a lot of those like urges in my mom. Like I think about the way she. You know, at one point I had some little tiny discrepancy in my credit score and she was like, we're sitting down and writing them a letter right now. We need to fix your credit score, you know, like when I was 18, you know, and and, um, she just sort of had all these ideas that were like, you know, I don't want you to be dependent on a man, you know. (laughs) That's right. Yes, absolutely. Sure. Um, Helene, I have a question for you. And then and then as we bridge from the past to the present and then um, Annie, you'll get in there. Um, (laughs) 
But I'm, I guess I'm curious. So talking about these issues, this is what feminism was then. How do you see feminism now? Like, what is it to you now? Are you there? Yeah, I'm thinking. Mean- <laughs> <laughs> I think um, a lot of the goals that we had have been met. I mean, more than half the medical students are female today. Now, during that period, if a woman applied to a medical school, and I know women who had this experience, she was told, you're taking a man's spot, and then you're going to leave and have a baby and never come back, stuff mm. like that. So uh, wow. in, in many ways, women have made uh, made their goals in, in the job market. Some areas like film, not. And there have been many articles about this, that there are very few women uh, directors, et cetera. Right. So, um, and, and, and if women make money today, they have no trouble borrowing money. So, right. I think borrowers I, finally saw the advantage. They're like, wait, I can make whole, money off of this whole other market. Money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think the, today women are struggling with balance. I think that's what they're struggling with. You know, like jobs are endless in their requirements or their, or what you can do in a job and children are endless in their demands. And so now women are doing it all and have to figure out how to modulate that. That's hard. Yeah. It's a crazy balancing act. Yeah. Annie, what about... Okay. Okay. And Annie, Annie. how about you? What what is feminism for you? Oh, I mean, it's a very big question. Feminism is incredibly complicated. Um, I mean, feminism for me... uh, was kind of like my gateway drug to other activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it started out because just when I was a kid in elementary school, I would get a lot of uh, really obnoxious sexist comments. And also just was at a school where a lot there were a lot of uh, very antiquated, weird practices. Like if anyone needed to like clean a classroom, the boys would move all the desks and the girls would be sweeping, stuff like that, uh, which really bothered me. So that's kind of how I got all into it. So I think it's really important for people to remember that above all, feminism is just the dictionary definition of like a, a social movement for the social, political, and economic equality of all genders. Mm-hmm. That's something that kind of gets lost in the mix with everyone's different individual ideas about what feminism is or how they want it to look. I think it's really important to make sure that people understand that that's what feminism is and not I don't know. I've met so many stupid boys who will be like, what are you talking about? Feminism is just as bad as patriarchy. It's just the opposite, which is clearly not true because uh, feminism is not matriarchy. It's about equality. Uh, to, I don't know. I think that feminism now is like at this really interesting place because it's becoming a lot more inclusive. Uh, a lot about feminism today is focused on intersectionality so like the various intersections of people's identities like for example people say like oh like white feminism and white feminists uh shouldn't focus the narrative on themselves because then like you're not including like feminists of color in the narrative you need to be more inclusive in your language you need to be more inclusive in the issues that you're talking about so like the stuff that we're talking about right now is about, generally speaking, about, like, white, middle-class, working women, Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the problems that are faced by, like, 
women who like are have a different socioeconomic status or like women of color are so so different and so diverse and so feminism needs to be really careful to make sure that we don't spend too much time focusing on like the almost privileged problems of women who like get to go to medical school and then have to figure out how to have a family and also be a doctor uh like that there's that's a huge discussion to be had but it's important to remember that like if you're if you try and actually have a feminism that really is helping all women you need to also be thinking about racism you need to also be thinking about homophobia uh you need to be thinking about including trans women in your dialogue and in your feminism so that's kind of where I'm at and where I think a lot of my generation is at, uh, really just making sure that uh, feminism is as inclusive as it possibly can be um, and making sure that intersectionality is really centered in the narrative. I just want to add to this. You said the question is, is the work done? And the work has to be furthered politically in this country. We need a Congress, which is equal men and women in, in both houses of the legislature. And if Hillary Clinton becomes president, that will be a great boost for feminism. Well, some people say that a lot of, I mean, I know a lot of like, like black or Latina feminists who say the opposite. They're like, Hillary doesn't represent me. Hillary has like done like awful things in terms of foreign policy to Middle Eastern women or to like women in Latin America based on the like political coups that she has like helped or harmed or versus the like the foreign policy action she took as secretary of state in the middle east like i think that a lot uh of that gets overlooked people say like oh hillary clinton is a feminist and is going to be a female president so inherently she's going to be great for all women but that's really not true uh, that so I don't I I if we go political i actually <laughs> have going political <laughs> can I, well you know it's real i i feel like i I ended up actually posting something on Facebook where I felt like Bernie in some ways, Bernie Sanders um, embodied more feminine qualities or like. Yes. And I reposted that. Yeah. And had like a, <laughs> has a feminist agenda in a way because of the things that he values um, are actually enabling uh, empowerment of women um, as a result of it. Whereas I, I have this feeling of Hillary being a little bit more of this like old boys club, mostly because she, in order to even exist in politics, had to fight her way into the boys club. Um, so it, yeah, so it starts to feel like these different paradigms. And I think with every new generation, we're like on with a new paradigm. I mean, I think it's really interesting because having witnessed Hillary, in the 90s and what she went through and how, you know, when she said, oh, I don't just want to stay home and make cupcakes and how she was attacked for that, um, that I think older women see the struggles that she went to... To achieve what she well, has to achieve, now. And also that in some ways when people say, oh, Hillary keeps changing her mind about what she is and what she stands for and who she represents. I think a large part of that is because her generation, the struggle of her generation, and she's sort of between my mother and myself, is really to to, to copy, to try and be like a man. Like I remember when she supported the Iraq war and I was thinking, why is she doing that? But in some ways, I think it's that sense of, well, at that point, for a woman to be successful, do they have to out-men men, out-hawk the men? I'm going to be hawkier than the men. <laughs> right. And I think 
when I look at some of the choices Hillary has made, I think it's driven by that generational, which I don't know, mom, if you see the same things of like that generation of women who were really the first ones breaking through really had to out men men. And that meant, you know, getting rid of the those nurturing aspects of themselves. And then when you look at Bernie Sanders, he's like, we need to raise people up. We need to care about people. We need to take care of the downtrodden. We need to be nurturing, which is much more of a female feminine message. And I think women of Hillary's generation, if they push that message uh, too strongly, they were sidelined of like, oh, they're just a, a woman. So this is the complexity of the yeah. issue. This oh, is no. really yeah, just I... what this, just this conversation indicates the complexity of it. Yes, uh, I, I'm glad you that was well said, Gina. I think. I mean, I, I I agree with you that I feel like, and that's a concern of mine as well. Are we squishing? Because I I've seen this even sexually. We talk about on the show a lot. Um, where I feel like, uh, you know, I hear all these stories from my roommate who's an Uber driver, and he talks about these women who mm-hmm. are just acting so crassly sexually and very male, like aggressively oriented. Um, like almost like an 80s, like what men were like in the 80s. Exactly. Or like an 80s it's like, dude. Like it sounds like <laughs> the same thing, you know, of like trying to be like a man and like winning like a man sexually and, and you know, is, instead of like the boardroom. And right, right. Like I've got I've got notches on my belt and you're like, no, no, we want to move away from that dialogue altogether. Right. <laughs> no, we don't want men or women like, you know, you know, what do you got like cattle listing the people they've had sex with? Um, so, so that's been a concern of mine is, is, you know, is feminism killing femininity in a way? Like, are we, um, keeping our, tamping down those nurturing feminine qualities in order to be equal? And uh, Annie, I'm curious if you, cause you're, I've seen that in our generation, millennials, uh, you know, not to a huge degree, but I'm seeing it. And I'm just curious if you see that in your generation or if this is a concern for you or if, if you're happy about that, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that I personally have ever witnessed someone like killing femininity in the name of feminism. I think that, uh, like, I haven't lived in the United States all my life. Uh, and so I've seen, like, also just, like, around the world, this, like, like, that's a question that you would only really ask in, like, an incredibly liberal setting. It's super meta because it's, like you're asking a question of like oh are we getting so liberal that we are like reversing that whereas in most of the world like no one's even at that point yet it's like can we get people to just respect women as sure Sure. maybe if we narrow it down to the u.s because yeah like this is our experience as americans can i ask and maybe this is touchy right but given like this dialogue about uh like binge drinking on college campuses um you know I don't know. Where am I going? I feel like I'm touching hot water. Yeah, <laughs> it's it very hot water. Which <laughs> actually, I think it's a really, I've been thinking a lot about it. I, I was. Uh, it feels like a very male culture frat thing that has now become yeah. like universal. Question. Like an <laughs> expectation for everyone. Oh, sorry, go ahead. And I think that also is super complicated because like in my, like people my age who are all like either in college or looking at colleges, um, one of the biggest feminist issues for us is rape on college campuses which feels totally fueled by that, like, super masculine, binge-drinking, fratty culture. Uh, So that's a really scary thing, actually, for me, looking at colleges right now and going into college uh, next year. So um, I'm not 100% sure where I'm going with this, but I think that 
there's a lot. Yeah, I think that it makes sense that as a reaction to that, some girls would be like, oh, yeah, I have to fit into this. I have to, like, be able to take 10 shots and be fine. I have to be able to, like, drink with the boys uh, because that's the only way to, like, survive. Whereas there, I also know other girls who react to it completely differently who are like, I am going to be super nurturing and feminine and treat my body like a temple and be a flower because I'm powerful in that way. And I acknowledge that my femininity and my that love that I have can be powerful. And I think that, I don't know, the reason I don't really have an answer is just because I think that definitely like both things happen, things totally across the spectrum happen. And I don't want to be mad at anyone for the way that they react to it because I think there's so many different ways to resist and subvert sexism. There's so many different ways in which women are constantly being like stereotyped or pigeonholed or told to act a certain way and walk a certain way and everything. So I don't want to blame anyone for reacting and surviving that in a way that I don't agree with. I think that like if certain women react in one way and other risks react another, like what's important is that we take care of each other and that like these women know what they're doing and are empowered and aren't being coerced into acting in a way they don't want to. You know, I think that's really interesting and I also think, you know, as we look at feminism across the generations, one of the things that's really interesting is this idea of rape culture. I mean, I I had posted about this Brock Turner thing in the Stanford case where this guy only got three months for... um, More than most people do. Right. Uh, Yeah, for attacking an unconscious unconscious woman. And um, and then somebody pointed out that actually that's a lot because for years, uh, college rape, nothing happened, but it wasn't just college rape. I mean, I think, Mom, you can talk about what would happen if you were raped in the 50s or 60s. You wouldn't even go to the police Wait, many times, I'm right? I'm going to take a mini break right now, and it's like a great cliffhanger. Hold that thought. We're going to be right back. We're talking with TNA <laughs> Talk Sex. We're going to come back and talk about rape culture over the generations. Um, uh, yes, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back with TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. And I'm A. And, uh, and Gina was just filling us in on the Brock Turner case in Stanford. I don't know if you all know about it, but that he actually did get some prison time. A lot of women online were up in arms about, and even, I mean, even Joe Biden, uh, pre, you know, Vice President Joe Biden spoke out about it. Um, so anyway, you were about to say Well, about I'm just, you know, that I think people culture. don't realize that um, uh, in the 50s and 60s, a lot of times women were raped and were afraid to go to the police, particularly if it was somebody they knew. And we know that most rapes occur from people that are known. It's not stranger rape is the least common form. And mom, I thought maybe you could talk about what it was like for people in the women well, in the 50s. I actually was raped. So um, I was raped by a good friend of my husband's. Wow. So uh, I was walking in Greenwich Village I was a college student and I ran into him on the street. So that tells you, first of all, if you run into someone and that's the first thing that comes to his mind. I mean, we did, we were not to meet or anything. And he said, Oh, hello. How are you? How are you? And, um, I want to show you my new apartment. It's right here. It's right up the block. And I said, I can't, I'm, I have someplace I have to go. Oh, please come up, come up for a minute. So I began to think, well, he's a good friend of Norman. Norman is going to, my husband, Norman is going to be very upset if 
I don't go up and see his apartment and I'll just go up for a few minutes. So of course I went up. So that's the first thing. The first one thing I did, which is in my mind, what my parents would say if I told them. Yeah. So I went up to his apartment and of course then it began, you know, he just started to beat the shit out of me. And, um, finally I just spread my legs and said, I got to get out of here alive. And that was it. I never, I mean, I, of course I told my husband, we were not yet married, but we were going to be married. This friend knew that I told my husband, I never told my parents and thankfully I didn't become pregnant, but, um, there was no question of going to the police. It was like, they would say, well, you went to a man's apartment. So that's what happened in the fifties. That's the story of of rape in the fifties. I think we we got traumatized by it. I have to tell you that, you know, I was just thinking, Helene, what a fool you are. You're not cynical enough. That's what I thought. (laughs) Good. So anyway. Wow. That's, I mean, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. And I think it's, you, you just, you said you were not traumatized by, uh, no, I was not. No, I mean that's that's I mean, takes incredible I strength. Felt what a fool I was! What a fool I was! You know. But can I? I, 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 I feel don't, like that's that I'm is not a oh. suspicious person, but I wasn't suspicious there. You know, I just. But how could you not be traumatized? It seems so horrible. I, I don't know. Well, you <laughs> well, I guess never. I mean, I went on with my life. I mean, you feel that people, you know. I didn't think about it every day. I was glad I got out of there alive and we never saw him again. And, you know, Norman had his words with him and that was the end of it. Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting, The but the internalizing, like I, I feel like that kind of speaks to the chatter that I mentioned earlier for me. Like when I hear that, I think about like, yeah, there's so much put on us as women to be like, oh, I shouldn't be in this space. Like I shouldn't go here. I need to constantly be guarding myself. And I think about like, okay, so we're talking about my generation, that the things I've done. I mean, I grew up with a very, um, both parents worked a lot. So I very much, I mean, I feel like I fall into, I feel like latchkey kids were like more like the early 90s. But yeah, like, you know, like my parent, yeah, like I had a key and I always let myself in and I did whatever I wanted and like no one was chaperoning. And it was almost like, yeah, you've got to, you want to do something, figure it out, (laughs) you know, figure it out on your own. And in some ways that's empowering as a woman, but I, I also traveled a lot alone. And I know that that's kind of rare for women, even in my age group like people would be like aren't you scared and I'm like I don't know I, yeah. I wanted to go yeah, um but I, I just think about all those all that like your that story it's like so many times I I was in a hallway in Paris in a building I'd, I'd gotten thrown out of the apartment it was all complicated and a guy in the building was like oh there's an extra room do you want a key and I was like yeah <laughs> and I and I stayed with him and it was like nothing happened you know and I and I and of course there are all these of course this story at Stanford is an indicator of when something does still happen in our age group but but there's almost like this fracturing where it's like it's not safe but maybe it is I, you know I don't you don't know what you're right. gonna get no right no I mean I think you know I did this short film which you know you've both seen um which takes place in Africa and uh it's called in their eyes and it's basically trying to deal with this issue of as a woman um we are constantly we are not free like we constantly have to think oh Am I, is it okay if I go here? Am I putting myself at risk? Is it, it, am I making the safe choice? And constantly looking over our shoulders, we're not free to walk alone you, on the street. That's true. I mean, I consist, so actually, Annie, I'd love to know your opinion. Like, I, I actually look around my car before I get out of it. I, if I'm walking down the street, I'll glance over my shoulder every minute or so just to be sure no one's following me. I've done that since living in Manhattan. I've done that. And it's like, I don't know. I think I, I actually know he was doing it in high school. And it's like, is it paranoid? I'm like, a little bit. But then I'm like, 
But you live in a rougher area. I'd rather not have someone following me. Well, this goes back to maybe me traveling alone, though. Like, I was walking to my friend's house in uptown Mm -hmm. New Orleans, which is, well, New Orleans is a dangerous city. (laughs) But but very conscious of just this idea that... You could be in danger. Yeah, that 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 it could happen anywhere. men, Men, for the most part, walk free. Right. Well, for the most part. What I think is funny, I feel like men now, I've noticed more and more. I've met guys where... um, well, okay, two stories come to mind. Guys that, that are very aware of it and they'll kind of like run by women and be like, I'm not following you. And right, like, me literally too. jog by because too. they don't want, like it's a man of color. I've right. male friends in the comedy scene. I do stand up and they like, they'll joke about that, but they're like, I'm not raping you and like jog by because it's just them and like another woman on the street and there's no one else there and they know right. that they're dark skinned and whatever and all these like stereotypes that are against them. So they just evacuate. And then I and then I just um, oh, I had one other little story I wanted to share. And it was about. Oh, no, I lost it. Someone <laughs> quick. Annie, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, mean, I have I have a kind of a story that's similar to that. Totally. I it was like, I think, like ninth grade and I was in gym class and two of my friends and I female friends. We were talking about like, oh, yeah, like when I walk home late at night from the subway, I'll like have my keys in my hand in case I need to stab someone with them or like I'll always be walking over my like looking over my shoulder. And then a friend of mine, one of these female friends was like, oh, yeah, like a couple weeks ago, I was walking home and someone just grabbed me, like grabbed my shoulders and I had to like kick out and run like on the streets of Manhattan. Um, wow. And so we were with we were in a group of a couple other kids and these two teenage boys started laughing like f- friends of mine good guys uh and they just started laughing and we're like wait what like are you being serious after we asked them why they were laughing because they literally just were so like privileged in their masculinity they had just never been taught to worry about that they had never even considered that girls could feel so unsafe walking down the street and it was like completely innocent not like completely naive they didn't they were well-meaning. They just literally had no idea that we could be serious. Right. No context. No context. And, and the thing I, I, I also wanted to bring up, this other case that I read about that to me was even more disturbing, this uh, kid at, from Vanderbilt University just got uh, found guilty for, um, essentially he was dating a woman, they went to a bar, either he drugged her or he uh, she became drunk, he carried her, um, back to his do- dorm yeah. room, got a bunch of people, friends of his other football players to carry her into her room. And then they had this gang rape that they filmed and videotaped. She woke up in the morning, didn't know what happened. And it was only when the security in the building happened to be looking at security tapes for a totally other reason that they uncovered this gang rape. And it's like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, it seems like compared to my experience in college, that things are actually significantly worse, that in this area we are going backwards. And, um, you know, somebody had pointed out on my Facebook page that it's because of the whole accessibility of porn. And uh, I don't know, I just find it so, so disturbing. And, you know, all the stuff about Bill Cosby, obviously it's been going on for a long time, this idea of... Well, I was going to say, how long has this been happening, but now people are maybe speaking out more publicly. Is it a positive thing that it's actually getting media coverage? I think that, like, right, because right now the statistic that's really popular that, like, Obama, I think, said is that on college campuses, one in four female students will be sexually assaulted during their years at college. Um, 
at like a residential college and that's really fucking scary even at the at the military academy that's amazing whether you have the most upstanding people right well or the yeah they're perceived as that and they certainly are supposed to have a strict code of moral duty right it almost sounds to me like i was just talking about this with with a friend of mine where it almost we were talking about all the different like this awful story Gina, that you just shared about the rape and and the gangbang and uh, i feel like they're there's so much horrific things happening. It almost sounds like it's the fall of Rome, you know, where it's like where you're when a civilization is at its peak and there's um, a lot of affluence in a lot of areas that you get really grotesque behaviors happening. Does that ring true? To, I don't know. I'm just I was just wondering. I, I, maybe. I think another thing is you may have read in, in the science pages that men think of sex every 15 seconds or something like that. I mean, there's this biological thing that they have to deal with not to um, make it easy for them, but they have to be taught how to deal with it. And I guess that's yeah. not happening in the society. Yeah, it's, so. it's interesting to see if that as a burden, if you're thinking about sex every 15 seconds, that is a kind yeah, of burden. Yeah, it is a burden. It is a burden. Well, it's, it's a biological imperative that, that in evolution was just to procreate. I think, and here we have a, a complex society. Well, I think that brings us to actually our, we wanted to kind of touch on kind of where does that leave men in our lives? And I, I think, you know, Annie, you hit on something which is like, I've I've experienced that with like boyfriends where they kind of just don't have a consciousness of the female experience. Um, for me, specifically, I think of, you know, around a conversation with him about HPV and how quickly he judged me thinking it was something dirty or like I wasn't safe or I made a mistake. And it was like, well, it's more complicated than that. And actually, there's all kinds of pamphlets on it. And I was educated on it in school and I was surprised that he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I think that actually is a, another big thing is that it starts, like, if if we are to assume that, like, okay, testosterone has something to do with all of this stuff and that, like, we need to, it's just, it's about teaching men and boys how to deal with it. Like, that starts young. It starts with, like, in sex ed, like, men also learning to take responsibility for girls. Like, if someone gets pregnant, like, it takes two to tango, stuff like dress codes where like uh there's like this huge thing happening in a middle school in my school district actually actually in brooklyn right now where uh a bunch of girls were just started protesting about their dress code because there were incredibly strict rules about how long their shorts could be the distance from their end of their shorts to their knee and they would be inspected and then kicked out of school on certain days if their clothing broke dress code and there was just nothing for boys at all and the idea was that it was the girls who were distracting boys. It was yeah, the girls' yeah, fault. The boys yeah, couldn't concentrate. Yeah, and it also yeah, applied yeah. to the male teachers, which is really disgusting that you're saying. Like, adult men couldn't control themselves no, in the presence of short shorts on 13-year-old girls. That's amazing. This is in 2016. Well, yeah, that happened in, in my school. We had I these can't codes. believe it. I had that yeah. in my school, too. I was at a Catholic school, though, and you right. kneeled to make sure the skirt right. was all the way on the ground. Wait, right, is right. this a public school or a private school? Yeah, or public. It's public. Oh, yeah. I was public. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this speaks to, uh, we talk about this on the show too, but I mean, um, and Annie, I mean, you've worked with sex education a lot, uh, yeah, a lot sexual but, growth or sexual, like sexual awareness. Right, I feel, uh, yeah, I mean, this is just like ABCs of like, okay, the human experience, we have desire and I, you know, it's super repressed in America, it really is. And so yeah, I love ahead. to like anthropologize, <laughs> how would I say that? Anthrop- anthropology, anthropology, I'm trying to make it a verb. Like 
analyze or, anthropologize. I'm trying to make it an adjective. Anthropologize. There you go. That works. <laughs> I'm moving go on. With it. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, all these movements. But I, I almost wonder if coming off of like um, the president, President George Bush advocating for abstinence, all these things, we all of a sudden have a generation in college right after his presidency that is, you know, we're seeing all these things in the media about these kind of violent rapes or like drugging rapes or, um, and, and to me it speaks to the lack of sexual development and, and like emotional development. Um, Annie, you touched on that about uh, patriarchy and kind of these archetypes that men need to, like expectations that men are supposed to meet and expectations women have to meet. And, um, and it, I, it just seems like you're right. It's, it feels like this kind of operatic violence that's happening in the media in general. But I, I just wonder how much of it is tied to like this oppression or of, of sexuality. Or, or like the there isn't any room for discussion and women are supposed to prize it. Right. Like Helene, I admire what you said about not allowing this rape to define the rest of your life. Right. But I feel like our culture is like, if that's taken from you, you have been, you know, you are at great loss and like everything in your life is lost. And um, and that seems very destructive to young women right. trying to create an identity. And worse in other countries. I mean, obviously, I think in well, here. Well, right, they kill you. Right, exactly. If you've been raped. <laughs> I mean, there was this that's case right. in, in Qatar recently where a Dutch woman was in a hotel and was raped yeah. and she was thrown in jail for the yeah. rape because she was considered it was considered adultery and so she was thrown in jail so obviously it's much worse in other places but i think more than the abstinence i wonder if it is this you know now and and annie you can talk maybe about this but it seems like any 13 year old or even younger with an internet connection can watch porn and how are women persuade in portrayed in most pornography is as this object to give pleasure, I mean, when some guy decides he's going to take the woman that he's dating, unconscious woman that he's been dating for a month, and have his friends gangbang her as, she, as if she is an object, to me there's something so wrong going well, on in the brains of four, three or four guys. Can I say there's there's a lot of pornography, if I'm honest, we have a show about it, but it, it's there's a large... Um, library of pornography out there which kind of covers everything and I, I often think of media as a reflection of what's happening in our culture um, so I'm not denying that that exists I guess I'm just saying there like I wonder okay kids are watching porn for me a bigger issue is and Annie if you could speak to this also um, to me I think about how I remember having a conversation with a boyfriend once and he said yeah but I knew at a young age that I was turned on by women because you know I saw this this porn magazine and I was like aroused by it and I said that's interesting because you know what at your at that age I never saw a porn magazine right like as a woman as a young woman I was like protected from sex or protected from the media of sex but I, I feel like it's interesting because I, I feel like the first book I saw of sexuality was our bodies ourselves which was this feminist book that my mother had yeah. and it was all about sexuality and and i remember looking through it and yeah definitely in my generation teenagers didn't have access to to porn the way that we do now right and what is that doing to annie how do you think it's affecting your generation honestly i have no idea like <laughs> i I've, I've i've like i've i don't know i've read different studies and think pieces about the relationship between porn and violence or vice versa like that violence is reflected in porn i i really honestly don't 
no. Like, I would say, because violence against women has always existed. Violence against women isn't something that is not predate. Like, porn doesn't predate violence against women. And I think that, if anything, like, violence against women has always been bad, has always existed. Women have always been used as pawns right. in war. Right. They've always exactly. been used as sex slaves. I mean, currently, like, sex trafficking is at its largest point in the entire, like, that has ever been in the history of the world. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, There's technically more slaves in 2016 than there were, like, 200 years ago uh, because of sex trafficking. But can I point out that we also have a, I'm I'm sure that this trend is probably true, but just as devil's advocate, I'm going to point out that, um, that there's, we also have a lot more reporting capabilities now right so we we like these things these stories are being um um put on air and we're recording all of it and so we have more access and knowledge and awareness that it's happening so i agree that it's like yes you know there's a lot going on but it's also just that we're more aware of it it's always been going on all of this has always been going on feminism how does feminism relate to pornography? Is pornography a desecration of feminism? I mean, it doesn't have to be. I think there's some obviously pornography can can have women in a in a positive light, celebrating their sexuality and partnership with men. It's just a lot of porn currently doesn't. But that's well, what I'm some saying. Does, by, some does, some doesn't, and I think the problem is is that when you have young boys watching this and are impressionable, how does it affect them? Right, exactly. Um, Mini break. We're going to be mini break, and then I I have a totally different direction to um, bring you girls in Uh, (laughs) when we come back. We're not going to touch on it? No. Okay, all right. We're going to have have a surprise direction we're turning from the the porn talk. It's lighter, it's lighter. We'll be uh, right back. You're listening to TNA Talk Sex. And we're back with TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. And I'm A. And uh, we're having this love. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to intro that we're, we're talking with three generations of uh, feminists in, in the sense that uh, everyone's been sort of proactive in creating um, change politically and uh, socially. And we've gone uh, all around the bend. And I have I have a lighter question for you guys. Um, and that's uh, this notion of um, man, men and women interacting in sort of courtship and whatnot. But... I'm curious how you would answer the question of how how do you feel about a guy opening a door for you? Something is it's a simple thing. It's a simple act that can reflect a lot. Yeah, a, a little symbol. So I'm just curious um, how like Annie and and Helene and Jean, like are, would, does it upset you? Do you like it? Do you feel like weak it. because of it? I feel like I like it. I like it when anybody opens the door. It can be a man or a woman. Right. I mean, no. I I feel like coming from Burning Man culture yeah where a gift economy where gifts are celebrated opening the door for somebody is just a gift and when somebody gives and you give back it's like and yes okay it's a traditional male gift but it's a gift in the moment what about you annie yeah actually i've had this conversation a lot with my friends and everyone has a different perspective every time i don't have a definitive answer but i generally agree with what you just said gina yeah that uh, and Helene, too, if it's a man or a woman doing stuff that's traditionally, like, quote-unquote, chivalrous, like opening doors, uh, is sweet. It's a nice thing to do for your friends and for your family. And so I would never 
I would never be insulted or upset if someone, if a man did that for me. The only caveat is I think that if if men are insulted by you not wanting them to do everything for you, if if you know how to open a car door by yourself instead of waiting for them to run around the side and open for it and they get insulted by that, that's a problem. But otherwise, I think it's just totally fine and sweet. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. What? Do you have an opinion, A? Do you have well, a different thought? I No. I mean, I it is, it is all over the map, but I feel like it's like... I understand that we come from a cult, well, from Helene's generation where you, we've had to prove ourselves as women. Like, I can open the car door, God well, damn it. Well, I think it. that's more <laughs> Gina's generation now. Both, well. Probably, yeah. yeah. I think so, more it's like, my generation. But so it's not, I feel like, there, yeah, for women who do get sort of hostile about it or get offended by it, it's like, well, we don't have to prove ourselves by something as mundane as opening a door. Like, let's allow the guy or whoever a chance to give the gift. You know, it's not about, I feel like sometimes we can get caught up in trying to prove ourselves in these really um, small tasks that can really be opportunities for gifts. Actually, I would say it's not my generation. My generation was more the 80s, which was the backlash against feminism. In the 80s and the 90s, people would say, I'm not a feminist. There was a lot of that. So it wasn't my generation. It was my mother's, Hillary Clinton's generation. Mm. I was I was actually thinking I liked uh, Annie's phrase about um, something being like a gateway, you know, but I, I sometimes worry that are maybe those little gestures like she's saying there's sort of a caveat it's like the little gestures could potentially lead to you not noticing when they you know are controlling a situation because you're used to them always taking the lead right Right? like oh the man always drives yeah he always drives he always opens the door for me he's paying for dinner he's pulling out the chair he's deciding what we eat now he's buying the house and it's only in his name like you know like all these and I'm not it doesn't have to lead to that right but that tends to be the reflection and maybe that's where the, but I feel the like resistance to it came from but yeah. I feel like that res- that responsibility resides in us as women to make sure we know ourselves and our voice and that we're expressing it I but think by putting, by putting easy. that on men as like their responsibility to say do not do this is, is f- I think erroneous I feel like it's a fault I feel like it is our responsibility Sure, but I like those consciousness. There can be a slippery slope. Yeah, I mean, I liked, I kind of almost love what Helene's talking about. Like, I want to bring back consciousness groups because... um, (laughs) Consciousness raising groups. Sorry, yeah, because, I mean, it almost sounds like a, a, what do you call it? Like a a meeting with your friends about your goals. It's like like, a group therapy about the role of women, right? Mom, wouldn't you say that? Yes, definitely. But even more, it's like your identity. So yes, as a woman, but like... The wonderful sharing yeah, and, I mean, and having people like... situation which we've all suffered through gym classes that you had to go to when you were in extreme pain, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of fun to be in a room with 10 other women and they'll tell you about the agony of menstruation. <laughs> so, you know, and you laugh about it yeah. and it's over and you know, this is what it's like to be a woman. So, so feminism has that aspect to it. Right, that's that cohesion. Um. Yeah, well, I Gina, you wanted us, you know, you wanted to touch on. Well, I just want to say, on. yeah, um, uh, uh, Christy yeah. and I are working well, on a T, Christina. It's okay, Christy, um, yeah, like a it. <laughs> uh, TV comedy, TV pilot, tragic comedy about a feminist in today's world who's trying to be a feminist gets in her way, and what what does it mean to be a to be a feminist? Like, what do we if we are if we declare ourselves feminist today? What is our activity? How do we further feminism? How do we um, address all these issues that we're talking about? How do we how do we take responsibility as women and 
work to make things right? How do we be feminist activists? Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, A, you bring up a good point, which is like this conflict with a man who in theory, like I happen to be heterosexual. I think of marrying man, you know, man, like I date men most, you know, like I've, you know, so, so I, yeah, it's like where, you know, where do you not feel, I don't know. I, I think currently I am kind of confused. I don't have a clear idea of what a man's role in my life is. I know. For, um, other than, you know, companionship, the way that you, you know, well, from, and, and yeah. a good sexual experience. That's just perfect. <laughs> All you have to do is be a powerful woman and think you can do whatever it is that you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and meet a man that agrees with that. Right. Amen. Here, here. Like that was, that's <laughs> it. That's simple. <laughs> in conclusion. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. but there are issues that we have to speak up about. I mean, I think we have think, to be activists about these rape culture and campus rape issues. We have to be. I think there are issues that are, you know, harassment of women that we have to speak up. Is a big issue. Sorry, Helene, could you say that again? Child care, early childhood care for little children, babies, should be child care is is tremendously expensive. People talk about this all the time. So that's very actually, important. I think we yeah, don't talk it. about it enough in American culture. And I think there's an so this all of this conversation for feminism for me, we've talked about it a on our show. But it's like and Annie, you brought it up about um, about economics, kind of like different cl- social classes. We have an assumption in American society that uh, that every man for himself, every woman for herself. It's this sort of doggy dog world. And it's like there are other countries who have set up medical systems that support right. female health care. And if you start as with female health care as the baseline instead of men's health care as the baseline, then we have a healthier society overall. And I think, as my mother pointed out, if you have a society like much of Scandinavia where you know your children are going to be taken care of, there's child care, they can, you know, they're going to be safe, that also allows you to actualize your life and focus on your career. As a woman. And not, as a woman and not sacrifice and be under a lot of stress because you can't support and your And then maybe childcare. resentful towards your male partner. <laughs> right. And on a more subtle level. I, single dads. Oh, sorry, Annie? Same goes for single dads. Single yes. Dads. Yeah, totally. like, so much of this stuff is just not, it's not just helpful for women. It's so helpful for just the entirety of society. Yet people are like, oh, it's a feminist issue. So I don't care. I, I yeah, I hear you. And I feel like, like, yes, uh, these issues do need to get, you know, they need attention and everything. Um, I, but I also feel like on a subtle, more subtle level, like for me, feminism I tend to focus on the balance of feminine and mass feminine and masculine approaches and the embrace of and celebration even of femininity in the world and, and everything that we do. And, and that's, you know, allowing men to embrace the femininity within themselves. It's allow it's empowering us to embrace the feminine within ourselves and, you know, a feminine direction for in within policies and all of that. So but it's also political. It is Equal pay is still a big issue. Totally, but I'm talking about like the 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 intention, the and the methodology. It's so uh, yeah. Right. That right. I like that what you're saying. The intention and methodology for these changes, rather than right people feeling def- like the patriarchy f- defending something. It's like well, less about defending, but rather just what Annie's saying, which is single dads and men will benefit right. from these changes for the women in their lives. 
And themselves as a single dad, child care will benefit them, obviously. Right. So it's not an issue about, yeah, it's not like whether the gender at home is male or female. It's the feminine principle of nurturing. And we're supporting that, you know, and we're empowering that. All people, actualizing all people, having the most opportunity for all people. Right. Yeah. Yay. On that note, I think we're going to sign off. Thank you so much for talking with us. Um, Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank and you. we've spanned the time. I know. I feel like we've ta- gone everywhere. Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, <laughs> but okay. thank you. Thank you for all of your uh, inputs and stories and uh, insights. Okay. So um, advice at com. At the end of every month, we do a um, sex advice show uh, where we answer your questions. And, um, and if you have any thoughts as well, we're happy to share those uh, on that episode. Um, and anything else, A, that we're leaving out? You can reach us on social media at TA Talk Sex and uh, Instagram, find us, Twitter, yeah. Yes, and find us on lovetv.co, which is uh, another great resource for uh, sex, intimacy, and relationship information. Yeah, and we look forward to talking with you all next week on our 100th episode. You're <laughs> listening to TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. And I'm A.